Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Well, hello. This is Michael Adams. It's nothing but the truth. One man's journey to find it. We'll do part two of the Manhattan Declaration and the, what is it, the religious right or whatever it is, I titled it. Um, I think I'll start out with an email I just got uh, from somebody who listens. He's been on the show a couple times already. Brian Taylor, I'm sure he doesn't mind me mentioning his name. He says, just a heads up on your latest commentary, perhaps his most controversial position regarded the eternal sonship of Jesus. Clark did not believe in the biblically faithful, uh, it biblically faithful to affirm this doctrine, maintaining that the prior to the incarnation, Jesus was unoriginated. Otherwise, according to Clark, he would be uh, subordinate to God and therefore not fully divine. This was important to Clark because he felt that Jesus' divinity was crucial to the understanding of the atonement. So thank you for that heads up. Um, yeah, I don't know much about Adam Clark. Actually, I actually don't know much, much about many of these guys that do their uh, commentaries. I'm more, I, right now I'm just kind of interested in their commentary. <laughs> Maybe I should do a little more research on the background, but it looks like here Adam Clark. Um, apparently the commentary is about the tail end of his life. Uh, he was born in somewhere around 1760, 1762, died around 1832 in the 19th century, not the 1900s. I apologize to everyone for me screwing that up over and over again. So, 19th century. The British Methodist theologian and biblical scholar, he was born in Townland, of Maybig Curly near Tubermore in North Ireland. So a lot of these folks come out of this, uh, I guess the Great Britain, if you would call it today, or in, in Ireland and that. So um, he is chiefly remembered for writing a commentary in the Bible, which took him 40 years to complete, which was primarily Methodist theological research of two centuries. So that's something to be impressed with, and at least according to, to me, that someone who spent 40 years of his life working on commentary in the Bible, that's just a lot. It's a lot of my commitment, and that uh, not too many of us ever done in our life. So. And, yeah, you can go over more on Wikipedia and learn more about him. Um, but uh, let's get back to what the uh, show was about. And uh, I posted there in the chat room, the actual article I'm reading from, the Ignorant Fisherman uh, blog. Uh, once again, I don't, I don't support necessarily this blog. I just they have an article on uh, the Manhattan Declaration. <clears throat> and so 
I don't know fully what they all stand for, and uh, this is not really the issue. The issue today is about the Manhattan Declaration, the apostasy of the religious right. And we were talking a little bit before on the last show about the religious right and to talk about the right-wing politics and that. And if we look at also um, the Christian right, too, uh, when we look at right-wing politics or the religious right, it's more than just Christian. That includes also Islam, Jews, a whole bunch of groups of people uh, who have, I guess, their, they have their moral standards, if you will. And uh, if you look here, though, the right-wing politics, right-wing politics is a political position and activities that view some of the uh, social hierarchy and social differences of either event, inevitable, natural, normal, or desirable, typically justify this position on the basis of natural law or tradition. Now, whenever I hear natural law, the first thing I think of, at least at this point, is Roman Catholicism, believe it or not. <laughs> Although they, the New Age has hijacked it as well. And, um, and then also, you'll find this in the truth or move it to natural law. And uh, I will we'll go to natural law a little bit here. Uh, within the right-wing spectrum, views differ whether hierarchy or inequality stems from traditional social differences or from competition of market economy. In Europe's history, there have been strong collectivist right-wing movements such as the social Catholic right-wing, right, excuse me, that has exhibited hostility to all forms of liberalism, including economic liberalism. Isn't that interesting? The historically uh, advanced for fraternalist class harmony involving the organic hierarchical society where workers are protected while hierarchy of classes remains. The term right-wing has been used to refer to a number of different political positions thus or through history. Uh, the political term right and left were first used during the French Revolution in 1789 to 1999. And uh, I won't go down that road, but everyone knows I have an issue with a particular date in that day period. <laughs> and so we'll talk about that another day. Anyways, you can go to, there's uh, a lot there. I mean, I tell you, you could talk a lot there about the historical elements. And I think we'll go back to it. We'll read more about this. Uh, but let's get, let's get to the article at hand, because this is about this Manhattan Declaration that I, for one, find interesting. I Apparently, it's been around for a while, and I had no idea. No one ever explained this to me, what's going on with this Manhattan Declaration. And uh, I imagine I'm not alone in this matter. I imagine most people who call themselves Christians probably aren't even concerned about it. Would just be indifferent about it. And I don't necessarily blame them, but uh, I am concerned about it. Because obviously this is a tool that's being used for, for the ecumenical movement, for a church to draw in all her daughter churches 
And, uh, you know, if you, if you get a chance to listen to last show, the first part of this uh, series on the Manhattan Declaration, we had folks like uh, uh, MacArthur, John MacArthur and others, uh, posting why they did not, or writing a written comment on why they did not sign the Declaration. And many of these evangelical Christians or Christian evangelicals who are, you know, who are, I guess are in line with how I see things, you know, it's Bible and Bible alone and, and Christ and Christ alone. There's, there's absolutely no way we can unify with apostate churches like the Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox religion, Mormonism, Judaism, etc., uh, can't unify, and especially just I guess this Manhattan Declaration kind of negates, ignores the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's clearly is one of these tools where they're using to create this one world religion. Now, let's get to the reading. In a day of ever-growing moral collapse and turmoil in Washington, D.C. and our nation, the American religious right have been linking up together more and more on uh, current social and moral issues called pro-natural laws. Oh, by the way, wait a minute, I forgot all about that, didn't I? Thank goodness I saw that. Let's see if I can find that again. Yeah, let's look at what natural laws are. This is for curiosity's sake, and uh, because you know you hear all different types of people's opinions, especially the New Agers, they hear that. But let's hear what this has to say. Natural law or law of nature, Latin lex naturalis, just natura, naturally, something like that, is a system of law that is determined by nature. So and so is universal. Classical natural law refers to the use of reason to analyze human nature, both social and personal, to de- and deduce binding rules and moral behavior from it. Natural law is often contrasted with the positive law of a given political community, society, or state. And legal theory, and on the other hand, the interpretation. A positive law requires some references to natural law. On this understanding of the natural law, natural law can be invoked to criticize judicial decisions about what law says, but not to criticize the best interpretation of the law itself. Some scholars use natural law synonymously with natural justice and natural rights. Uh-huh, this gets more and more complicated, doesn't it? Uh, while others distinguish between natural law and natural rights. All, though natural law is often conflated with common law, the two are distinct in that natural law is viewed as a certain rights and values are inherited in or universally uh, uh, canonized by virtue of human reason and human nature. While common law is the legal 
tradition whereby certain rights and values are legally uh, canonized by virtue of judicial recognition and articulation. Natural law theories have, however, exercised a profound influence on the development of English common law, and have featured greatly in the philosophies of Thomas Aquinas, Francisco Suarez, Richard Hooker, Thomas Hobbes, Hugo Gratius, and Samuel von Pufendorf, John Locke. Francis Hutchinson, Jean Jacques um, Burr Lamb McEwee, and etc. I don't want to start getting crazier and crazier names here. Um, because this intersection between natural law and natural rights, it has been cited as a component of the United States Declaration of Independence, the Constitution of the United States, and the Declaration of Rights of Human and Hit Citizen and De- Declarationism. And um, then it has all these different, you, have, you can look at this, uh, starting out from Plato, Aristotle's, and uh, then we have uh, Cicero, English jurisprudence, American jurisprudence, Islamic natural law, Hobbes, Cumberland's rebuttal of Hobbes. Uh, liberal natural law, contemporary Christian understanding. That would be interesting. Let's see where we go down there. Uh, Which would be interesting. A, A mixture between philosophy, psychology, and Christianity. And you might ask yourself, why does it always remind me of, uh, why does it remind me of uh, Roman Catholicism? Well, if you look at Roman Catholicism, <laughs> outside of it being in pagan origins, you can see that, uh, here we go. This is uh, uh, why, why, uh, one of the reasons why I think of Roman Catholicism right here in natural law. Contemporary Christian understanding, the Roman Catholic Church holds the view of natural law provided by Thomas Aquinas, particularly in his Summa Theologia, often as filtered through the school of Salom, I don't know, Salomancia. This view, also shared by some Protestant churches, was delineated by C.S. Lewis, and his work of uh, mere Christianity and the abolition of man. The Catholic Church understands human beings to consist of the body, mind, the physical, and the non-physical, or soul, perhaps. And the two are indiscriminately linked. Humans are capable of discerning the difference between good and evil because they have a conscience. There are many manifestations of the good that we can pursue, some like procreation and um, are common with other animals, <clears throat> while others, like the pursuit of truth, are the inclination peculiar to the capacity of the human beings. To know what is right, one must use one's reason and apply it to Aquinas' precepts. This reason is believed to be embodied 
in its most abstract form the concept of primary precept. Good is to be sought, evil avoided. Thomas Aquinas explains that there belongs to the natural law first certain most general precepts are that known to all, and secondly, certain secondary and more deleted precepts which are, as it were, conclusions following closely from first principles as to those general principles of the natural law and the abstract can no wise be blotted out from man's hearts, but is blotted out out of the case of a particular action insofar as reason is hindered from applying the general principles of the particular point of practice and account of the conspicuousness or some other passion. Uh, I don't think it comes. I don't know what that word is, uh, as stated above. <clears throat> but as to others, i.e., the secondary precepts, the natural law can be blotted out from the human heart, either by evil persuasions, just as the speculative matters, errors occur in respect to the necessary conclusion, or by vicious customs, and corrupt habits, uh, as among some men, thieves, and even unnatural vices, as the Apostle states, and it looks like Romans, maybe one, uh, where not esteemed sinful, whatever. Mm. Uh, however, while the primary and immediate principles precepts cannot be blotted out. The secondary precepts can be, therefore, the, uh, the, uh, the ontological ethical theory. They are open to a surprising large amount of interpretation and flexibility. As a rule, that helps men to live up to the primary and secondary precepts can be secondary precepts. For example, drunkenness is wrong because it injures one's health. A thief is wrong, a theft is wrong because it destroys social relations. Man is by nature a social animal. Natural law is concerned with both the exterior and interior acts, also known as actions and motives. Simply doing the right thing is not enough. To be truly moral, one's motives must be right as well. For example, helping an old lady across the road, a good ex exterior action, to impress someone, bad interior is wrong. However, good intentions does not always lead to good actions. The motive uh, most consign, cons coincide with the cardinal or theological virtues. Cardinal virtues are acquired through reason applied to nature. They are prudence, justice, temperance, fortitude, uh, theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. According to Aquinas, a lack of any of these virtues is a lack of ability to make moral choices. For example, consider a man who's possesses the virtue of justice, prudence, and fortitude, yet lacks temperance. Due to his lack of self-control, desire, or pleasure, despite his good intentions, he finds himself swaying from the moral path.
And, you know, at first glance, it sounds really good. And as far as a uh, uh, theological and a uh, moral, I guess, psychological approach to your life, it's great. Notice that there's nothing about the gospel of Jesus Christ and grace is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's just about men's works again. And that's why, once again, the reason why I say it. Especially in our culture, our society, uh, the Roman Empire, if you will, um, um, seems to be something that's more ingrained and taught to us than a true understanding of what faith is. What faith is, theologically, virtues, you know, what is faith? What's your faith in? Is it in you, your ability? Is it in God? Who's your God? All these sort of things. There's a lot of issues involved. Anyways, it's a lot of thinking and whatever. Psychology, theological psychology. Well, I'm probably not saying, it's probably phrasing it right, but Anyways, back to this. So where were we at? I didn't get very far in the article, did I? Uh, Pro-natural laws. Many of the American religious right have even put aside the sound biblical teaching and eternal spiritual absolutes of time and eternity in favor of greater social unity with those who do not hold such doctrines. And then it goes Deuteronomy 22.10, Second Corinthians six. 14, Ephesians 5, verses 6 through 8. And then it says, in quotes, I have found that many conservatives in the religious right are quite willing to compromise biblical truths in their attempt to make the Bible more relevant and palatable. It doesn't say who that quote is from. Maybe it does later down the road somewhere. Uh, such godless and decadent social uh, squeezing by the left in America has been a very catalyst for an apostate ecumenical union among the AA, the ARR. And there's another acronym that I guess manages to stand for the American Religious Right. I have found that many conservatives in the religious right are quite willing to compromise biblical truth in their attempt to make the Bible more relevant and palatable. In fact, when push comes to shove, these really do not uh, these really do not believe that the clear scriptural teachings regarding salvation and one's indispensable need of a personal relationship with Christ of Holy Scripture. And it says this is Matthew seven, twenty one through twenty three, John three thirty six, and Jude one ten. <clears throat> Maybe we should see what happens by uh, while they are quite dogmatic in social, moral, and fiscal issues in terms of natural law, they do not uh, they are not so dogmatic about the authority of Almighty God infallible word. He's doing a better job of explaining what I was trying to earlier. So, What is the Manhattan Declaration? The Manhattan Declaration was drafted by Dr. Robert George 
Dr. Timothy George and Chuck Colson. It shows up everywhere. Of uh, Breakpoint Ministries. The Manhattan Declaration is a document that is intended to unite ultra conservative Christians from a variety of backgrounds into one political movement. And of course, the problem with that statement, first and foremost, is, is defining what a Christian is. There has been nearly a half a million conservative Christians that have signed this document. And, of course, this dates back to when this was, looks like, uh, what was this article? Uh-huh. There's a lot of these articles I'm finding are uh, five years and older. So this is August 10th, uh, 29th, uh, 2010. So this shows you how behind the times I am about what's going on in Christianity today. I didn't even hear about the Manhattan Declaration until just a while ago. So it was a week or a month or two ago. I can't even remember when I first heard it. Overall, the goal of the alliance is to fight against the left's global secular push against those who who hold sacred Judean Christian values. The heart of this document seeks to sanct- the sanctity of human life, the dignity of marriage, and of the conjugal union of one man and one woman, the rights of conscience and religious liberty. These are in, in, indeed noble and virtuous ideals, but what is most tragic about this document is that this ecumenical alliance of Christians brings many different false Christs to the table. And I noticed that if you go to a lot of these churches, whether Methodists and Lutherans in particular, but the reason I noticed this is because I've spent time there, because when I was active in Alcoholics Anonymous, Needless to say, you have meetings in those churches mostly. And I noticed that the ecumenical movement was going on full steam back then. Not only that, but they were teaching such new age apostate things as um, A Course in Miracles in these churches. I'm not making that one up. And by the way, when I took my course, the first time I I, I didn't finish it. I didn't even buy the book, to be honest with you. It was, uh, but the last time that I actually went to the classes, it actually was, uh, it was in a Methodist church. And I noticed that they had a banner around there of all the different religions, you know, the different symbols, like the Jewish symbol, the Christian symbol, the Muslim symbol, all these different things, and this whole unity thing going on. There's one world religion, so... And uh, that was a long time ago, folks. A <laughs> very long time ago. Um, where was I at in all this? There we go, getting lost again in my comments instead of just reading the article. Uh, uh, when it comes right down to it, the uh, these place uh, social and moral issues above sound biblical doctrine, and it's. Sole authority and 
in all matters pertaining to life and godliness. The ecological compromise is one of the most subtle errors of our day, and many are being are, are, and many are being drinking the heretical Kool-Aid, and are, are greatly deceived by the type of alliance it promotes. Many of the religious rights conservative activists groups and uh, publications have also sought to encourage their viewers to sign this ecumenical pact. When it comes right down to it, these uh, place social and moral issues above some biblical doctrine, its, its sole authority, and all manners pertaining to life and godliness. Jesus stated that the last days many would come in his name who did not speak for him. <clears throat> both conservative and liberal voices. He warned that many deceivers are, are gone out into the world, and the apostle Paul and John, guided by the Holy Spirit, Spirit also warned that many would have itching ears and depart from the faith. And this is uh, Matthew 7, 21 and 23, 24, 4, Colossians 2, 8, 2 Timothy 4, 3, 2 John 7. Although the Manhattan Declaration, Declaration appears to be a good and noble endeavor for the promotion of social, moral, conservative reforms, a great evil exists therein. Look at how these uh, petitioners have fashioned it. Instead of simply putting forth a political conservative ideology, they have identified themselves with their Christian denominations and personal and relativistic beliefs about the Bible. In doing so, they have crossed the line of biblical sanctification and opened wide the doors of apostasy and damnable heresy. <clears throat> Matthew 7:15, Galatians 2:4, 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, uh, Peter 2:1 and Jude 1:4. Their common unity and central bond in natural law trumps that of the God of nature, the Creator, His infallible Word. With that said, their position states quite emphatically what is their first priority. Uh, Matthew 7:16, Luke 6:44. Their common unity and central bond in natural law trumps that of the gods, the God, that of a God of, nat of nature, the Creator, His infallible Word. Make no mistake, adherence to the basis of natural law and morality are essential for a healthy society, but these should never be held above the God of nature and his righteousness. One applies only to temporal, time-based existence, i.e., the here and now, and the other lasts throughout all time and eternity. In the end, only things wrought in spirit and truth and in Christ will abide forever. These two absolutes can never be reversed in order of importance. Natural law can never supersede God, the creator of nature and, and nature's law. In the end, 
these uh, reversals, this reversal will only bring eternal damnation and ruin upon individuals who practice this foolish reasoning and logic. In their ignorance and unbelief, these Manhattan Declaration signers have crossed this line and seem to be oblivious to this most pertinent of all realities. They are perhaps unknowingly promoting conservatism, conservatism without Christ. <clears throat> we have people coming and going. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Whatever. Uh, conservative first mentality. The section is uh, for born again believers only who have placed their faith. What the heck just happened there? Okay. Oh, I just, that was weird. Okay. To many, Bible believers and evangelicals are so also drinking the poisonous Kool-Aid of seeking first to be a conservative rather than a true Christian. The Tea Partiers are a great example of this. First, let me say that the Tea Party movement in America is desired and needful for the advancement of conservatism. Well, I don't know about that one. I think it, I think it's... I think he's wrong about that. Uh, the na- uh, natural laws and returning to the founding principles of our nation, nation such as low taxation, small government. American voices absolutely need to be heard today, and we should uh, do our part. But for the true believer in Christ, these tea partiers should never be a replacement for our earthly and heavenly expectations, including Christ's soon coming. There we go again. Come on. I don't know what to do about that. I can't tell you how many believers and evangelicals today have gotten all caught up in America's departure and have forgotten that the day of the Lord is at hand. I cannot tell you how many believers if they have Oh, beloved, wake up. This is God's tribulation coming in a global day of lawlessness on the horizon, as our Lord has said in Matthew 24 and Revelation 19, which I don't agree with that. This guy obviously is a dispensationalist. So, So, again, wake up, yay, sleepers. Okay. Redeem the time wisely. So the most important part of this article that I found was to bring up this natural law. I don't agree with uh, a lot of this uh, dispensational nonsense. Nah, not going to buy into it. I'm just not going to do it. Redeeming the time wisely for the Lord. Those who have professed the genuine trust in Christ ought to be looking for his soon coming and redeem the time for the day is are indeed evil. The only one should be 
That alone should be our great commission for the advancement of the gospel, the good news. It is outworking and fulfillment. <clears throat> when we, the ignorant fishermen brigade, attend these tea parties, we are not only fighting the secular socialist power of what we see, which is our duty as American citizens here on the end time. <clears throat> now, this is their opinion, by the way. We are putting forth God's words and getting his gospel out. Um, to our fellow conservatives, what is the message? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, failing social and moral issues of the day have apparently consumed and caused many Bible believers and evangelicals to stumble and fall. The failing social... Okay, yeah. Uh, do, do, do. They seem to have been taken our eyes off the Savior and the very hour in which we are living. These individuals are dear, sincere people who just need to redirect their course and current position to get their holy calling and priorities right. Uh, we should not get discouraged, however, and many do not, for the Lord himself predicted a great spiritual decline in the last days when he asked, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? This is the rhetorical question with the implied answer, no. In the last days, we may... Uh, I wonder if I got enough out of this. I don't really want to go down this. Okay, so, yeah, I think we're going to end that. Uh, we're going to get out of this one. If you want to read more of that, that's great. Uh, the next one I want to look at... Uh, gift tree. Manhattan law decoration. Uh, the spiritual abuse sanctuary. We're going to eventually get back to the first article that I started reading a while back. But I wanted to look at a couple of different perspectives on the folks, especially the evangelical side, including those who are future dispensationalists, to see how at least they have unity in one thing, that they shouldn't be part of this ecumenical movement. Not all of them, but at least the ones I've been reading. So, uh, Okay, so we're going to go from here, and I can, for those who just shows up. And, of course, there's the harassers, the goodness for the harassers. Okay. Well, hopefully you were I guess, four. <laughs> if you were, maybe you were just doing an April Fool's joke or something. I don't know. So, anyways, we're going to start reading out of this article. Um, that last article, the only thing I wanted to point out was this conflict between natural law and God's law. That's the only reason I wanted to bring that up. Okay, this is this article here. Uh, this interesting little video they have along with it. Uh, and the Nicky Malcolm Evil Twin. 
anyways, uh, if you decide to watch that video, that's worth watching. It's only seven minutes long or something like that. But uh, this is uh, not another expo on the Jesuits, per se. In case you may be wondering and yawning because of the title of the video I posted, okay, what it is then is a warning of the ecumenical movement, the so-called evil twin, and its so-called evil twin, the Manhattan Declaration, which this is interesting because I uh, obviously I never heard of this. Maybe others have heard of this, but uh, maybe people are more in tune with evangelical Christianity, but Manhattan Declaration is called the evil twin. It's evil twin of the ecumenical movement. Many Christians are aware of the Roman Catholic Church's push for ecumenism, that is, the embracing of all religions, including evangelical Protestantism, coming together under one umbrella in the name and cause of brotherhood, love, peace, and most of all, unity, a weird, unscriptural group uh, that flies in the face of true gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, get my act together here. However, how many ch- church-going evangelical Christians are not aware of their uh, denomination may be joining into this other kindred heresy, the Manhattan Declaration. I would hazard, I guess, to say the majority of them, the connection to the social gospel and the Catholic ecumenical push may be a bit fuzzy, but you can be sure that they are all woven together in one way or another to take the Christians down a broad path of destruction. Um, can we all just get along is the theme. Satan keeps on connecting his dots. There is so much going on in the world today. The need for discernment has never been greater. Man, the Manhattan Declaration is in its very essence rooted and grounded in the social gospel. It sounds good, like most things Satan promotes, but at at its core, there are dangers and deceptions that Christians should be aware of. So, who authored the Manhattan Declaration? And then it says, yeah, www.crosswalk.com, church pastors or leadership, Manhattan Declaration controversy. So maybe that's where I'll go next. <laughs> In November uh, the 20th, 2009, Charles Coulson, uh, Robert George, and Timothy George set forth a document they called the Manhattan Declaration. I wonder if that date's right. I thought that was created earlier than that. Maybe I'm wrong. <clears throat> Called the, Man- the Manhattan Declaration affirming the sanctity of life, marriage, and religious liberties and calling on Christians everywhere to sign it. Since then, hundreds of thousands of people who profess faith in Christ have affixed their signature to the document. Well, you know, to say that I really think the best answer is we just teach people the gospel of Jesus Christ. Start teaching once again from the Bible. But isn't that a natural like fruit? 
people start changing their behavior, they want to do these things, and you don't really need legislation to do it? I mean, you didn't need legislation before. I, I mean, goodness gracious. Uh, in the article, Heretics Calling a Spade, the Bible Biblical Connection blog, the biblicalconnection.wordpress.com, false teachers calling a spade, the author has listed some of the name brands who've signed the Manhattan Declaration. Among them is Albert Muller, leader of the Southern Baptist Convention, Dr. James Dobson, Chuck Swindle, and many other powerful and influential Christian leaders. This is a very well-researched and fascinating article, by the way, and I urge you to read it. So there we go. We're going to be reading that, too. Let's really have a lot of ways. There's going to be a couple parts to this more. As for me, well, maybe I should just stick to giving my personal testimony and telling folks the good things about the Lord Jesus is doing in my life, which are many, but it's like this. I agree with the biblical connection, and I, too, am very concerned about warning my Christian brethren of the snares of the fowler Satan, who is busier than ever in these perilous times, trying to drag both believers and non-believers into the abyss with him and his fallen angelic hordes. Referring to the Apostle Paul, many warnings about the heritage of evil works, 1 Timothy 1, 19 and 20, 2 Timothy 2, 17 and 18, and many others, where Apostle Paul himself calls a spade a spade. And, uh, I don't know about this one. Okay. Uh, we must do the same instead of avoiding criticism and lose the constituents in protecting our financial support for the sake of the ministry, or we are no better than the Jesuits who uh, pragmatically teach that the end justifies the means. Instead of forming our beliefs based upon whether or not we can really we can rally enough people to our cause, we must base our theology upon the Word of God alone. If we refuse to name false teachers and avoid them, then we are disobeying Jesus Christ, the final judge, and are allowing a false gospel to go out unchecked. If we abate those who err from the faith by defending them and by attempting to find some way of making excuses for their errant theology, then we have joined hand-in-hand with those wolves who would destroy the flock of God. Now, although I am not a ministry either, and only a blogger as well, I agree these deceptions must not be allowed to slip in unopposed. The ministry opportunities a fun in the sun of those who expose false teachers are limited and their lives are plagued by persecution. Who then wants to speak out? The obvious answer is not very many, but that does not change the commands of Scripture. Payday someday and those enjoying the comforts in this life will have to face the music in the next life. 
my guess is that this article will not get rousing support by pastors across the country. If anything, these many skill, these many shills who refuse to speak out to expose satanic doctrines and false gospels will turn on me instead. I am but a lonely blogger who follows the Spirit and the Word of the Lord. They are the ones who should be saying these things, shepherding the flock. Why aren't most of them speaking out? Many wolves were exposed at the signing of the Manhattan Declaration, which is further discussed in one of the articles linked towards the end of the article. Even errant Dr. MacArthur, who has embraced means of grace sanctification, who believes... I don't know about this. Who believes that one can take the mark of the beast and still be saved sees uh, the danger of the Manhattan Declaration. Dr. MacArthur defines the dangers of this declaration, the article at the link. Why are so many of these popular pastors so errant? Why are they... Why are they the only ones given the opportunity to speak for Protestant believers by CNN, Fox News, and other mainstream media? Scarlet. Well, first of all, uh, as far as MacArthur goes and the mark of the beast, uh, you know what? I would be in line with him. I don't think it has anything to do with the chip. So I guess you could talk to me about that. You could say that about me, too, so... I think it has something to do with false doctrine and being part of a false religion. And there are many people right now, including myself, most of my life, that were under the mark of the beast and didn't even know it. But that's for another another show. So anyways, um, so now I want to go to this where this article is that she says to go to. Let's see about this one. Biblical connection, connecting the dots precept by heretics are calling spade spade. Is this what I want? Sorry for the delay here. No, I don't think I want to do this. Although it's a very good article. I don't know, maybe I should do it. No, this is not pertaining to the Manhattan Doctrine, but it's a, it's a very interesting article. Crosswalk. No, that's not Crosswalk. Uh, BiblicalConnection.wordpress.com if you want to check it out. Let's see what this is about. 
Okay, Manhattan uh, controversy, Manhattan Declaration controversy. This is crosswalk.com. Once again, I'm not affiliated with it. There might be things definitely wrong about it, but we are trying, I'm trying to, to just introduce you to this Manhattan Declaration. <clears throat> In the November 20, uh, 2009, Charles Colson, Robert George, Timothy George set forth a document they called the Manhattan Declaration affirming the sanctity of life, um, marriage, etc., religious liberties and calling on Christians everywhere to sign it. Since then, hundreds of thousands of people who profess the faith in Christ have affixed the signature to the document. So apparently it must have been in 2009. I mean, I thought it was earlier than that, but I guess I'm wrong. However, significant debate remains over the fact that Manhattan Declaration has garnered the signatures of a number of leaders of the evangelical Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Many prominent evangelical leaders are concerned about the accuracy and the propriety of the identify of identifying such theological dis, disparate groups as Christian together. In the same document, evangelical leader R.S. Spruill, who elected who elected not to sign the Manhattan Declaration, summed up the controversy by his response posted 1289 in, in his blog. The Manhattan Declaration confuses common grace and special grace by combining them. Well, I would march with the Bishop of Rome and the Orthodox prelate to resist the slaughter of innocence in the womb, I could never ground the co-belligerency on the assumption that we share a common faith and unified understanding of the gospel. The Manhattan Declaration does call Christians to unite in the gospel, the gospel of costly grace, the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in its fullness. Furthermore, Jews, Muslims, Mormons, and other non-Christians are not invited to sign the document, even though they generally hold the same positions about uh, abortion, marriage, Uh, where are we at here? Um, yeah, freedom of religion. One interesting validation of the grounds of this controversy came from the following Google research. Franklin Graham Manhattan Declarations among the hits returned was a gay activist website commenting on Graham's absence as the signatory. The author, Timothy Kincaid, who professes to be a Christian and takes offense at the Manhattan Declaration bias against gay epistle bishops, commented, this manifesto has less to do with social good and more to do with Christian definition. Such an uh, observation of Kincaid, who was clearly opposite Spurl's theological, political, and social, does in fact corroborate Spruill's and others' reading of the Manhattan Declaration as an attempt to define who is and who is not Christian. Very interesting. 
very interesting insight. Other evangelical leaders declining to support the Manhattan Declaration site errant ecumenical tone in the document R.C. Sproul has joined in his views by notable leaders like John Piper. Really? Really? That's good. John MacArthur, uh, who sees the Manhattan Declaration as an implicitly theological statement, a flanking maneuver that attempts to redefine Christianity without addressing longstanding issues that have been around since the 1500s, the time of the Protestant Reformation. All right. All right, all right. So now we can go back to the article that I first started here. I don't know where I stopped. Uh, the name drafted the Manhattan Declaration, name drafters. Um, okay, maybe this rule will go. And if I'm repeating myself, I, I apologize. The name, the name drafters of the man. This, by the way, is the Trinity Foundation. Dot org in their article, and I believe. Uh, well, let's go look at the top. So we can... The Roman Catholic agenda embedded in the Manhattan Declaration. This is by Richard Bennett, and I started reading this on the show, and um, I just realized I had to do a series on the Manhattan Declaration because it was more than it was a bigger issue that I realized. Most people won't think that, but um, what can I do about that? So the Roman Catholic dual purpose of the Manhattan Declaration, on November 20, 2009, more than 150 people were portraying themselves as Christian leaders of Orthodox, Catholic, and Evangelical backgrounds declared their unity because of moral issues. The signers who were uniting themselves together with the Manhattan Declaration identified themselves under the signed statement, we are Orthodox, Catholic, and Evangelical Christians. We have united at this hour to reaffirm fundamental truths about justice and common good. One, the website of the Manhattan Declaration states that the purpose of the document is simply to speak with one voice on the most pressing moral issues of our day. The Manhattan Declaration is simply a statement of solidarity about only the social issues it addresses. Two, the document itself may not appear to have any objective other than quoted. However, under the website section entitled Message to All Signers of the Manhattan Declaration, the clearly stated purpose is a call for a political movement. Uh, this shows that, in fact, the Manhattan Declaration is only the latest step in the downgrade into implementing Catholic social doctrine. There is yet another purpose, a one primarily stated in Vatican Council II and post-Vatican Council II documents. Through these the use of social issues, the Roman Catholic Church seeks to draw true evangelical Bible believers into itself so that there can be no opposition by them on fundamental issues of authority of the Bible alone in the Gospel. In order to soften the evangelicals and their separation from, Catholic, of the, from the Catholics on the biblical doctrinal issues, 
particularly the authority of the Bible alone in the gospel, the Catholic modus operandi calls for using social issues on which both evangelicals and Catholics agree as primary common ground. The major, by the way, I apologize anyway if you've heard this because I have read this. I just don't remember where I finished, so I'm just going to reread it anyways because I think that Richard Bennett does a wonderful job of explaining what's the real issues here. <clears throat> the major social issues selected by the Manhattan Declaration are acceptable, but what gives away the underlying Catholic far-left political agenda is some of the vocabulary used. The vocabulary here is has a general meaning to be used, but in the context of Roman Catholic social doctrine, it means something quite specific. As evangelicals are drawn together with Catholics on social issues, like the social issue mentioned in this document, the ensuing ecumenical dialogue serves to transform modes of thought and behavior in daily life of their evangelical communities, churches, and this way, it ecumenical dialogue aims at preparing the way for the their unity of faith in the bosom of the church, one and and one visible. Thus, little by little, all Christians will be gathered into the Roman Catholic Church state with a dual authority-based false gospel and company far-left agenda. The Roman Catholic Church state's primary goal is to make enforceable its claims that it is the only true church of Christ and its pope, they claim vicar of Christ, has the right to judge everybody. He does. He did during the Middle Ages. In order to accomplish this, the papacy must do away with the supreme authority of the Bible and the gospel. It must silence all who stand against it in its endeavors. In the Roman Catholic context, in which the Manhattan Declaration is set, and ironically, thinking about this, when I'm reading this, I'm thinking about what it's like being a Mormon, and how the apostle and the excuse me, the prophet, and then the twelve apostles, and then the quorum of seventy, and how these guys rule the church, and how do they do it? They use it by using the Book of Mormon, don't they, and destroying the liberating truths that are in the Bible of who Christ is and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And isn't that basically the same way uh, that Rome operates? And if we look at the Mormonism, the creation of the Jesuits, a.k.a. Rome, um, what is it saying? It's saying that, you know, listen, you know, it's, it's just, just an example. It's a tool that Rome used to gather in a group of people and keep them confused and under priestly authority. So, I don't know. Ambiguous preamble, ambiguous preamble. The preamble, the, Man the Manhattan Declaration itself lacks the stated purpose intended, and it proclaims that Christians are heirs of a 2,000-year tr tradition, ambiguously defined as proclaiming God's word, seeking justice in our society, resisting tyranny, and reaching out with compassion to the poor, oppressed, and all suffering. 
The statement clearly does not mean a 2,000-year tradition of proclaiming the truth of God's Word and seeing the Scripture, because both the Roman Catholic Church state and the Eastern Orthodox Church denied sole authority of Scripture as well as the Gospel. <clears throat> Every equally important, the preamble does not identify who is meant by the general term Christians. That is given further down in the second section the Manhattan Declaration. These two single factors alone ought to make any evangelical worry. A worry, worry, yeah. Named drafters of the Manhattan Declaration, named drafters of the Manhattan Declaration. The named drafters of the Manhattan Declaration are Robert George, an ardent Roman Catholic taking the place of now deceased Richard John Newhouse, Timothy George, Dean of Beeson Divinity School, and Chuck Colson of Prison Fellowship Ministries, and now the center of a Christian worldview, in order to achieve a solidarity among the parties of which this website spoke. Clearly, all the compromises have been made by Timothy George as the evangelical representative. This is required by a Roman Catholic drafter and those behind him. Indeed, it was at the end of the that Timothy George was invited by the organizers of the project to be the drafter for, for the from the evangelical side. Really, that's a pretty sneaky sleight of hand, there, don't you think? He is the leader who the public witnesses on the behalf of justice, human rights, and common good, and is in line with the Roman Catholic political and ecumenical purposes, justice, human rights, and the common good all buzzwords for Roman Catholic far-left doctrine as spelled out by the compendium of the social doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church. Timothy George's major compromises. Timothy George's first compromises, compromise was to agree to the authority based on document uh, that base is not the Bible alone, but instead it is hardcore Roman Catholic tradition and scriptures. This corrupted authority base makes it possible to settle the ambiguous terminology that does not align doctrinally with the Bible, particularly regarding the gospel. Equally important is the total compromise of Timothy George on the gospel. Although the preamble states that Christians today are called to proclaim the gospel of costly grace, there was a vagueness of expression and confusion regarding the meaning of costly grace. Men's position as a sinner under the vengeful wrath of the Holy God is not explained on the authority of the Bible alone. Salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is not explained. Yet the Manhattan Declaration uh, bland exp expression, the gospel of costly grace, is the closest of declarations gets to the gospel. Obviously, the Manhattan Declaration flexible phrase is bent to cover up the lack of solidarity among the signers because there can be no solidarity of unbelievers with those who have been saved by grace alone, through the faith alone, and Christ alone. It seems to be that way. 
I never realized that, but it's turning out to be that way even in my own life. It's it's really interesting. Wow. Another section of Manhattan Declaration states that our duty to proclaim the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in its fullness, both in season and out of season. This is a this is a sop that evangelicals Christians, but one which they actually did their duty requires them to confront the Roman Catholics and the Orthodox signers with the supreme authority of the Bible with the gospel. Both Catholics and Orthodox churches officially deny the gospel and it, in its place actively teach and practice a false gospel. Though only those who actually are saved and in Christ, those who actually believe the gospel are charged with, the, with proclaiming it. The Roman Catholic Church history whitewashed. Another major compromise to this to which Timothy George bowed regarding the history of the evangelical Christians in the Roman Catholic Church state, the historical facts of the Roman Catholic Church state centuries of inquisitions against millions of Bible believers and others cannot be airbrushed away with a brief statement that institutions have been mis- have made mistakes as the Manhattan Declaration tries to do. Neither can the drafters be claiming to speak exclusively as individuals exonerate themselves from this outrage. The most important part of the preamble summary on Christian history is what it fails to say. And uh, what we will do eventually get to is actually reading this declaration. Uh, but I'm just looking at right now what other people and their perceptions of it, especially those on the evangelical, evangelical side, Bible believers, what they think of it. Because, uh, well, yeah, I guess I do want to, skew, uh, you know, <laughs> I want to influence people's interpretations of it. Uh, but also because, you know, um, the, the subtlety of words, if someone doesn't explain to you the subtleness of the, how they use words, um, it could sound at, at uh, first glance like it's a reasonable thing. But listening to folks like Richard Bennett explain why it's so apostate, then when you read it, you'll have a different perspective. And so, and it will have a different meaning, you know, of course. So, the preamble presents a few bits of history to support its claim to the heritage of Christian tradition, but it remains silent in the two most significant events of European history. First is the 600-year reign of terror of Roman Catholic papacy enforced by its murderous inquisition. The second, and equally important, event is the Reformation of the 16th century due to the recovery of the Bible and the gospel in the hands of ordinary people. These two single omissions were necessary because even to allude to the other of them, to either of them, would destroy this supposed solidarity of the Manhattan Declaration. Okay. I'm going to take a break, so... Um, I don't know. I guess I'll play that music again that <laughs> I did last show. I gotta, if anybody has any good ideas for music as far like little intermissions, let me know.
<clears throat> but uh, I need to take a break. So I'm going to listen to once again. What is it? The Vatican N W O. The All-Seeing Eye on YouTube. I don't know who these people are, but they're one. They seem pretty insightful, and as far as the video goes, they're very good at explaining who the All-Seeing Eye is or what it is, and its connections to Rome and the Jesuits and all that kind of stuff. So, all right, let's check it out. We'll see what happens.
Anyways, uh, back to this article from the TrinityFoundation.org. Um, uh, here we go. So, for examples in the preamble states, for example, the preamble states it was Christians who combated evil uh, slavery. Papal edict of the 16th, 17th century decreed that the practice of slavery and first excommunicated anyone involved in slavery trade. However, by the start of the 16th century, 300 years of enforced papal edicts had already been enslaving Europe by robbing, torturing, and murdering millions of Bible-believing and other throughout the Holy Roman Empire. The Inquisition was the papal tool by which people were terrorized and forced into professing faith in the Roman Catholic false gospel. Accompanying the practices, it would be uh, another 300 years before the Inquisition was finally halted at the end of the 18th century. And of course, by the way, it's been reinstated, folks. <clears throat> in an outrageous and utter disgrace that Timothy George, in particular George Robert George, an educated man allowed such whitewashing of the Roman Catholic state's a bloody history to be totted out. <clears throat> the beginning of the 1203, with the ethnic cleansing of the Bible-believing Albigensians, <clears throat> In France, the papacy instituted its murderous system of inquisitions. In the 1572, the papacy, under the edict of Pope Pius V, before his death, was uh, instrumental in the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, in which as many as 70,000 French Huguenots were ethnically cleansed from France. In the 17th century, the papacy was heavenly invested in the ethnic cleansing of the Bible-believing Valdusis, and uh, people of the valley, or people of the valley, of the Cotanian Alps. During World War II, the Roman Catholic state of Croatia, with the approval of the papacy, inflicted ethnic cleansing on the Serbian Orthodox and others. The papacy, too, was instrumental in preparing the way for the Holocaust of World War II, and it stood silent while millions of Jews were murdered. The papacy has not changed in spite of its new tactics of calling evangelicals separated brethren rather than heretics. And then, of course, we've read about how their their, their influence in the Vietnam War was. And, of course, we'll eventually find out their influence in the Middle East is. Further down the same paragraph, the preamble states that in Europe, Christians successfully fought to establish the rule of law and balance of the governmental powers, which made modern democracy possible. Certainly, the Orthodox and Roman Catholic churches cannot be included in this statement. Rather, it was the Protestants of the Reformation who had the Gospel and the Bible, the successful dismantle of Holy Roman Empire, in which the Pope, being head of the Church of the Civil State, could not enforce his anti-biblical doctrine by means of civil law. In this place, the Protestants of the Reformation instituted the rule of law, and in America they powerfully shaped the Constitution, which was an entirely new kind of government, a respective 
republic based on the rule of law and the base on which was the Bible. Without the reformation of the 16th century, American experience of a new kind of civil government in which having neither a state church nor a ruler claiming both temporal and spiritual authority, as the Pope does, does not have to... Would, could not have taken place. Many immigrants of Europe, England, and Scotland fled to, Amer to the American colonies in the 17th, 18th century because of the terror of the Roman Catholic Church state continued to perpetuate in their homeland for Catholics, including Robert George, to claim that 2,000 years of tradition of seeking justice in our societies and resisting tyranny is simply a blatant lie. <clears throat> Thus, the drafters of the opening statement of the preamble of the Manhattan Declaration, by refusing to find their who is meant by Christians, are, are able to present insignificant bits of Catholic information that promote an outright falsehood regarding the Catholic claim for a history of seeking justice and resisting tyranny, the history of the Orthodox, Eastern Orthodoxy, oppression, well, in no way matches that the papal Rome has fully opposed other forms of Christianity amounting to persecution of true uh, believers in the Orthodox, in Orthodox nations. It is incredible that anyone who understands the Catholic and Orthodox can include the declaration, definition of Christian, could endorse this opening statement. Robert George obligated to Roman Catholic social doctrine Robert George okay <clears throat> Robert George is morally obligated under the dictates of the papacy to evangelize people particularly evangelicals and orthodox in the Roman Catholic Church state by means of propagating its social doctrine his duty as a Roman Catholic is to lay out the follow as follows the Pope is the supreme teaching authority of the Roman Catholic Church, has decreed the following for its lay people. <clears throat> it is the task to evangel of evangelization, that is to say, of teaching, and catechismize, and formation of the Church's social doctrines inspired in its addresses to every Christian, i.e. Catholics, by fulfilling these these responsibilities to lay faithful, put the church's social teachings into action, and thus fulfill the church's secular mission. The papacy has put real teeth into the dictates on this issue, insofar as it is part of the church's <clears throat> moral teaching. The church's social doctrine has been the same, has the same dignity and authority as her moral teaching. It, it, it is authentic magisterium uh, which obligates the faithful to adhere to it. The duty of all lay Catholics is to evangelize by teaching and implementing Roman Catholic social doctrine everywhere in secular society, the obliga obligatory to pain of excommunication. This means that the papacy has a dependable fifth column in every nation where Catholics are found, the Roman Robert George, by his profession as a Roman Catholic and his drafting of the Manhattan Declaration, shows that he is part of the Pope's fifth column, whether or not he acknowledges it. 
the political objective of the Manhattan Declaration, political, uh, okay, the website makes it very clear that the Manhattan Declaration has a political objective under the website section entitled Message to All Signers of the Manhattan, Manhattan Declaration that proposes that proposes is stated, namely, we are seeking to build a movement. Hundreds of thousands of Catholics, Evangelicals, and Eastern Orthodox Christians will stand together alongside other men and women of goodwill in defense of the fundamental principles of justice and common good. It is here that the Christians are defined as Catholic, Evangelical, and Eastern Orthodox. Thus, the true Evangelical Christians are to be yoked together with Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, neither of which is Christian. Furthermore, this newly formed Christian group is then to be yoked together with other men and women of goodwill, presumably meaning atheists, pagans, animists, and such as Buddhists, Hindus. Exactly the world group that the compendium of social doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church targets as those who are to move to move the Catholic fair, far leftist agenda forward into the global implementation. Quite overtly, the movement is is to propagate the Roman Catholic social agenda, which comes to light by the words justice and good and of common good. Justice in Roman Catholic social doctrine is specifically defined it is now it now includes economic justice, which is a buzzword for all for the call for redistribution of wealth from richer countries to poorer ones. Uh-huh. While the main time the Roman Catholic Church doesn't pay anything. The U.S. Uh, Catholic bishop in 1995 passed a letter at Economic justice for all states in the Catholic teaching, human rights include not only civil and political rights, but also economic rights. All people have a right to life, food, clothing, shelter, rest, medical care, care, education, and employment. However, in Scripture, God does not speak in terms of rights. The biblical mandate safeguards against injustice and grants men responsibility both in owning private property and making their own economic decisions. It allows men the freedom to act with dignity of being created in God's image. It also allows men the freedom to fail in their endeavors. The importance of true economics is that it does not... primarily offer riches and extravagance, but rather it, it, its primary offer is one of freedom and personal responsibility to exercise one's own role before God in his universe. Such responsibility puts his, him face-to-face with God's law, his own law, his own inevitable failure to live up to it either. It gives him a chance to move beyond what he can see and control to seek the real truth. It is here that the supreme authority of the Bible and the gospel brings him the truth that he needs. The Bible alone teaches him truthfully of God's sovereignty. It shows him his need for a Savior. 
then he can understand what his dependence ought to be on God rather than uh, God, excuse me, on God through Jesus Christ. Conversely, the thrust behind economic rights, i.e. the redistribution of wealth for for which the Roman Catholic social agenda calls, seeks to transfer an individual's responsibility before God and therefore his dependence on God to a demoralizing dependence on the civil state or the Roman church. And go ahead and look at Western Europe for that. That's what that is. That's what their institution's all about, whether they're honest about it or not. <clears throat> These two institutions then become either a God or an unauthorized intermediary, intermediary, <laughs> an intermediary of the true God. The term, the common good, mentioned eight times in the Manhattan Declaration is also a Roman Catholic social agenda buzz phrase. Thus, the official papal companion states, the church social teaching calls for the recognition of the social function of, of any form of private ownership that clearly refers it to necessary relationship to the common good. The universal dis distinction of goods entails obligations on how goods are to be used by the legitimate owners. From this there arises the duty on the part of the owner not to let the goods in their possession go idle and to channel them to the productive activity, even entrusting them to others who are desirous and capable of putting them to use in production. What very few realizes is that this concept of common good in Roman Catholic teaching involves enforcement by the civil governments in which every person is required to participate. It is this that the Pope Benedict calls for his encyclical curatus in veritate. So curatus in veritate. In June 29 of 2009, for which the official papal compendium also calls how many of the evangelicals who have signed the Manhattan Declaration have understood what appears to be a conservative Bible-based concern over justice and common good words that in America unmistakably harken back to the preamble of the Constitution have here been formed into a deceptive tool to be used against them. When evangelical Christians signed the Manhattan Declaration, the Roman Catholic social agenda, with its enforced moral obligations is being advanced, that agenda stands diametrically opposed to the Bible, to the U.S. Constitution, to the Bill of Rights, when fully formed, the larger political, religious, global institution envisioned by the papacy will be fully coercive, as it has in every totalitarian, totalitarian regime. 
Thus, when the Manhattan Declaration speaks of how Roman Catholicism has stood for freedom when it does not and never has, it is clear that Robert George and his Roman Catholic advisors have specifically laid a trap for unsuspecting evangelicals. The ecumenical purpose... It is no coincidence that the ecumenical agenda of the Pope appears in the Manhattan Declaration. This declaration is an important, is as important as the proclamation that launched the evangelical and Catholics together, the ECT movement in 1994. The words at the, the time were, this statement cannot specifically officially for our community's churches, this statement cannot speak officially for our community's churches. It does intend to speak responsibly for our communities and our and to our from our communities and to our communities. In this occasion, however, the leaders claim Christian unity as individuals, not on behalf of our organization, but speaking to and from our communities. Again, the same words are not a coincidence, rather they are evidence of the same purpose, namely both Catholics and Evangelicals are to be accepted as Christian. Part of the reason for the terminology change from speaking from our communities is that the Roman Catholic Church state has officially stated that the Evangelical churches are not churches in the proper sense. Therefore, while denying recognition of the Evangelical churches, the Roman Church uses the document to make a not-so-subtle display of its institutional power in order to ecumenize the evangelical Christians and the Orthodox. When the two cardinals and, and seven archbishops and five bishops of Rome and Catholic Church state signed the Manhattan Declaration, they did so as representatives of the Roman Catholic Church state and the papacy. This is what was done by using their full titles rather than only their given names and the denominations from which they come. As, for example, the Cardinal signed as His Eminency Adam Cardinal Maida, Archbishop Emeritus, Roman Catholic Diocese of Detroit, Michigan, and His Emeritus Justin Cardinal Rigoli, Archbishop Roman Catholic Archbishop of Philadelphia, PA. Okay, that's, that's a lot. The same can be said of most of the original signatories to the document. This means that although the signers claim to be speaking as individuals, not on behalf of, of our organizations, clearly they are using their titles to identify their status and power in the religious world. The list of signatures is meant to impress ordinary people so that on the bias of who's who or identity politics, they will also sign. Here in the Roman Catholic, false ecumenism has accomplished a large step in drawing Bible believers little by little into thinking that the Roman Catholic Church state is not so different from their own evangelical churches. <clears throat> One 
one basic tactic of the Manhattan Declaration is to leave out the declaration of things on which the parties do not agree. This tactic is part of a divide-and-conquer strategy. This was enunciated in 1994 in the Evangelical and Catholic Together ECT, which sought to identify Roman Catholics as Christians. According to ECT, Roman Catholics were to be identified as Christians on things about which they agreed with evangelicals rather than on the authority of the Bible alone. As regarding to the major defining doctrinal issues that anyone who claims to be in Christ must believe concerning these major doctrinal issues, there is as yet no agreement. The legacy of ECT... The Evangelicals and Catholics together. How come they don't teach you this stuff for your church? By the way, if they do, you're really one of the fortunate ones. The legacy of the ECT 15 years later is that in the Manhattan Declaration, the defining issues regarding the identity of, the, of Christians is not addressed per se. Nevertheless, the drafters of the Manhattan Declaration were careful about how and when they would make it clear that Roman Catholics and Orthodox were to be included as Christians. To that end, the preamble of the Manhattan Declaration simply makes statements about Christians and their heritage according to tradition, most of which could be accepted by the hasty, biblically ignorant, and naive evangelical reader. But the final paragraph of the section entitled Declaration, after speaking about Catholics, Orthodox, and Evangelical Christians, the drafter flatly states, we are Christians who have joined together across historic lines of ecclesial, ecclesial differences. No argument has been made regarding the issue of whether historic ecclesial differences has been solved. Rather, the compromise of calling Roman Catholics an Orthodox Christian is stated as if it is a huge accomplishment, which it is for the Roman Catholic Church state, but to the shame and disgrace of the evangelicals who have compromised themselves. The Manhattan Declaration itself must be read in context in its website if one is to comprehend what is uh, about to sign. The Declaration itself is fairly innocuous as a statement and of little political significance except to the Roman Catholic Church state with its far-left agenda, particularly for the United States, it recognizes and, and signing onto the Manhattan Declaration, evangelicals are sanctioning the Roman Catholic system and the orthodoxy as Christian. This is something they should have refused to do. Regarding the embedded Roman Catholic social agenda, however, many evangelicals have simply been deceived by that cunning document. The scriptural, scripture emphatically states, God will not be deceived, and he will not be mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Galatians 6, 7. Therefore, true Christians must make a stand. The Lord God will not be mocked. 
his glory and his gospel of grace are at stake. Richard Bennett. MP3 DVDs are easily accessible. Sermonaudio.com. Okay. So now we got to find this. I wonder if I even want to do any more. I should, but I need to find the document. We'll read that document the next recording. That's what we'll do. Then maybe we'll move on to something else. So let's look to think and ponder about that. After listening to these two shows, you should have a little more perspective about what the document is really about. And you should be able to make a decision. So the next time I do a recording, I will. The first thing I'll do is read the document. And um, I don't feel like doing it right now. I'm kind of getting tired of reading. So anyways... There we go. I guess that's another couple hours or so, about two hours. I don't know how long it's been. How long has it been? It's almost well, at least an hour and a half of a show. But I had enough. So anyways, next time we do a recording, we'll read the Manhattan Declaration. Then we'll go from there. So, and to those who tried to, to join in today, thank you for those who, even those who were throwing, you know, slurs. and <laughs> It's cool. You know, I don't care. I'm sure you heard something you weren't prepared to hear yet. But I'm great important, so. Um, with that, God bless everybody. Take care. All right, bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.